0: i for you to take the Word of God and turn to Mark chapter number 15 this morning. Mark chapter number 15 is where we'll spend much of our time. As we pick up our exposition once again in the book of Mark, nearing, nearing the end. Um, I felt somewhat compelled to return uh, leading up to Easter week here in just a couple of weeks. I want to take advantage of that. It's generally a time in which our minds are directed towards the cross, towards the resurrection. Of course, every Lord's Day should be. There are times and seasons, such as Christmas and Easter, in which we highlight um, certain realities and truths that are just a blessing, and I, I don't see anything inherently wrong with that, um, even as we seek to honor the Lord and His resurrection every week. But to set aside certain certain times and seasons especially for that can be a blessing to as individuals, as families, and also as a church. So I'd like to direct our hearts and attention back to that this morning and pick up actually um, in one of the verses that we had covered last week. So it will be somewhat of a a repeat um, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, but also to to highlight a reality um, that the Lord has impressed upon my own life um, over the past week or so. If you will, we'll stand for the reading of God's Word out of reverence for it. We'll pick up our reading in 16 through verse 21. And the emphasis this morning will be out of verse 21. You read these words. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Let's pray. Now, father, again, we come to you. Many prayers, I pray, have been offered already, and not only in Father, this hour, but the previous hour, and possibly this morning, Father. And as we woke up and sought Your face, and just asked for the blessing of of God upon our lives, Father, particularly upon this morning. Father, we come to ask it again. Um, we know that um, we are to seek You, Father, and that we're to continually seek, knock, that we might find. So, Lord, we come once again uh, to seek Your face and to ask You, Lord. Um, that if it be your will you might meet with us father that you might go with us in the word lord that you might enliven our hearts in some measure with the very word of god that the spirit would take it lord and and use it for your glory and father that we would receive it with the utmost joy i pray this morning that if we don't have a love for the word of god that you would birth in us that love Father, I pray for those that do, that you would just strengthen it all the more. Father, And we know that the avenue in which that will be accomplished is is, that, um, that is, is only if we will exalt Christ. So, Lord, may we do that. May we seek to honor his name. May we seek to lift him up, Father, above all other things. May he be preeminent in this place, Father. And as our love grows for him, may it grow continually for the word of God. Father, may the Spirit this morning freely do his work and that is to exalt the Savior, um, to glorify Christ. And Father, may and that be accomplished in the very hearts that are here before us, Father, and, and also in my own heart, Father. Um, even as I preach and teach, would you help me to be faithful, but also, Father, um, would you uh, work to be fruitful even in my own heart. Um, would you press upon me um, the glories of Christ. Father, may I see His beauty and majesty. Father, may I recognize in a greater fashion the love that He has for me. Father, may I see Him wholly high, and lifted up. May I see Him other than us, but also the same as us, because He saved us and made us and gave us life in Him, Father, that we are other than because we are in Him. And Father, may You just overwhelm us with the reality of God this morning in such a way that it might provoke us to be more holy like Him, other than this world, Father, otherworldly, Uh, that we might even take up our cross and follow him, Father, and find joy in that. Father, um, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. We once again pick back up in the book of Mark. We've been here for some time, but a little time left. As we seek to see our Lord in his last hours. That's where we find ourselves in the text this morning, as many of you are well aware. That we see the Christ, the cross-bearing Savior here. We see him take upon himself in some way um, the curse of all men, and the curse of sin, that he might be the savior of all men, and that he might um, be the propitiation, the satisfaction, as I'm the writer to Hebrews and John tells us in his epistle that he might be the satisfaction of God's wrath. That's where we find ourselves this morning. You'll remember that these are just the very last hours of his life. Approximately one week earlier, he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. His final work is to be done. I mean, he spent the last year and a half of his life more focused upon his disciples. And teaching them and preaching to them and discipling them and raising them up, possibly to carry on the kingdom work once he's gone. Um, What used to be veiled is no longer veiled. He's taught with clarity, especially in this last week as he's entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, A clear representation and fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And they hail him as king. And some of those same voices, just a few days later, will be the same voices that have held him, held him cruci- or have have yelled, "Crucify him! Crucify him! His blood be upon us, and and also upon our children." Why? Because he's pressed the envelope, and um, he's pushed the leadership there in Jerusalem, and he's pushed them over the top. They want no more of him. John chapter 11 tells us that at at one point, they've determined that if he's left alone, then he'll lead all the nations after him. And thus, they conspire against him, but not during Passover week, seemingly, Mark tells us. But it, it, it so works out that Judas is on board. We find that after... Um, after that great Mount Olivet discourse is given um, with his disciples, there's an act of worship by Mary and um, that just sends Judas, in some sense, over the edge. Anger and bitterness overwhelm his heart such that he abandons the other disciples and our Lord at some point, and he seeks to betray him. Our Lord is pressed in the temple, judgment upon the nation of Israel. He's pressed outside the temple in a sermon, uh, the sermon. The the judgment against the leaders of Israel, um, and, it's, and it's pressed them in their hearts with a hatred that is beyond measure such that they will conspire with Judas and take him to the end. Not, not truly understanding that, that they're not the ones that are in control. Um, our Lord is the one who is directing this process providentially And He's got all things in His hands. And that this death, this life, this same Jesus um, was predetermined in the counsel of God before the ages were ever fashioned. In time and reality, to be a lamb that was slain upon a cross for a people, undeserving sinners, just like you and me, out of every generation, out of every geographical location. One day, Revelation is very emphatic there will be every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is Jesus' work to accomplish. And in accomplishing it, he would would receive a kingdom out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Um, This is his, his work. And it must be done. At this point, and they've taken him out of the Garden of Gethsemane, As Judas conspired against him and betrayed him with a kiss, Rome comes in coalition with with Israel and the leadership and they take him. Not before they beat him and they flog him. He's already undergone three trials um, by the nation of Israel. A total sham, an even greater sham is going to be that he sat under um, three trials with Rome and they found him guilty. Guilty of treason against Rome guilty of blasphemy against God. Thus, he's beaten within an inch of his life, flesh ripped from his body, blood pouring out, a crown of thorns upon his head. He's been mocked and ridiculed and shamed. And now he's being forced to carry the heavy end of a cross. Upon his battered back, his exhausted body, been up all night, no sleep, agonized in the garden, and beaten half to death, Possibly unrecognizable, and Roman soldiers watch him in physical agony begin to take up his cross to a place called Golgotha. He would take the curse upon himself for sinners. So the curse bearing outcast here takes up his own cross, a cross intended for an insurrectionist, a rebel, and a murderer who set free a man by the name of Barabbas he begins the journey from Jerusalem to Golgotha with a physical cross upon his back. He's no sooner outside the city that the soldiers see his exhaustion. Thus they demand assistance with the cross. Some may look at this and say it's an act of mercy. I doubt that. Given the former picture when they mock him for being quote, king of the Jews, by dressing his broken body up in what looked like a king's garb and, 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 and supplying him with the paraphernalia that a king would c- carry, such as a staff and a crown. I'd say mercy is not their forte or not a virtue within their heart. It could be that they were afraid that he had die prior to the judgment, or it could simply be that they were tired of waiting on this poor criminal who's struggling to make it up the hill and even take the next step. So they see a man, a man by the name of Simon uh, Cyrene, the text tells us, and make him help our Lord. This man is a man um, whose name means literally in the Greek, snub-nosed. As the case of the apostle, it may represent a, a good Hebrew name, Simeon. You remember Peter's name is originally Simon. It's very possible that this man was a Jew, a Cyrenian Jew. There's two options here. Uh, Originally, he's from Libya or North Africa. That that, that would be the area of Cyrene, what we would know today as, as Libya. There was a large country of Jews in that area. It could be that Simon traveled in as one of the Jews who often did every year to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. It could also be that he's simply a native to Israel And he's originally, his family is from Cyrene. And you'll find that in more than one place in the book of Acts, we actually read of a shared synagogue in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 9 after they they, they call men of Greek Greek origin to be the servants within the church to take care of the widows and the orphans. And we find out that there is a group within that synagogue, uh, within a synagogue after that in which there are Cyrenian Jews already established. While Simon may have been a visitor to Jerusalem for the Passover, his entry from the country is also a possibility um, from from being simple resident and actually growing up in Israel, but his nationality is uh, Cyrenian. Either way, native or foreign, it could very well be that Simon the Cyrenian Jew was on his way to the temple where the Passover lamb would be slain. Little does he know that his plans will be overridden by the very Lamb of God himself. Simon's plans would fail. And on his way to see the shadow of Christ and the sacrifices offered at the temple every year, he would witness the substance of all promises, prophecies, and pictures up to that point. It would be similar to us hearing about heaven. How do you explain it? All the words, all sermons, all pictures seem to fail. While they give us hope, they fail to do justice to the reality that one day when we step foot in that great land, all words, all pictures will truly fail as we embrace the reality that is before us. That was the reality for Simon, even though he didn't recognize it. Even though in the moment he doesn't understand it, the journey that he was on to worship God that day just culminated because the very temple of God that he was going for stood before him. The text says that they compelled a certain man, and it ends with passing by to bear his or Christ's cross. Mark mentions a certain, again, Simon of Cyrene who is forced to carry Jesus's cross. The, the The original word there for force or to compel, it was commonly used of coercing slaves and animals and work. Um, the drafting of this man Simon was an example of of, of Rome's, force or compulsory service of those that were in Palestine they ruled and reigned in Palestine Palestine was underneath their rule with relative amount of freedom but at any moment a Roman soldier could come forth and require anything of a Jew and that's where we get some of the vernacular the vocabulary the phraseology in Matthew's gospel um if they very well could be that if they ask you to go one mile go two if they ask you for the cloak give them more um that here we find that in reality, that there is a Roman soldier that catches a man on his way, possibly to the temple, we can't say that with 100% certainty, but no doubt at some point this Jew, if he's devout at all, or not devout at all, the average Jew would be seeking to honor their Lord um, in the temple process, particularly at celebrating Passover. Now it would be inappropriate to be dogmatic in suggesting that Simon's taking up the cross here um, in any way indicates that Simon was a child of God at the time. It actually seems that he's quite the opposite, um, that he has been forced to carry this cross. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's a completely meaningless act that we should just gloss over. At the very least, what we have recorded here by Mark um, is a striking illustration of the costly identification of every believer um has with Christ the suffering messiah which jesus even called for earlier you may remember in mark as well as matthew matthew 16:24 jesus says to his disciples months if not years earlier quote if anyone desires to come after me let himself let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will, it, what will a man give in exchange for his soul that's the call to the disciples and that's the call to every believer what we find here is a living illustration of that is he an unbeliever we don't really know but we can't speculate at least at first that he is. Why? Because he's forced. He's coerced by Roman authority. Luke says they actually laid hands upon him. He didn't naturally come. He doesn't even seem to want to. But does that mean that he's continued on in that state? Of course, the answer is no. It doesn't mean that, but it could be. And this is something that we could debate if you like. and something that I alluded to in the previous sermon weeks ago. But I'm convinced that this encounter of Simon with Jesus is to be to Simon's eternal gain. Maybe not immediately, but at some point, maybe not even during this episode, but at some point it seems that Simon comes to Christ. How do we know that? Well, we draw the conclusion from our text. Mark records for us seemingly an uninteresting detail that we could gloss over and quickly be overlooked. Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. We know from church history that Alexander and Rufus became well-known leaders within the church at Rome. Interestingly enough, Mark seems to have a Gentile audience in mind which would uh, have been very well tailored to the Romans. The church at Rome would have known Alexander and Rufus. Church history teaches us that Rufus became a bishop in Spain and Alexander died early as a martyr and possibly Simon as well. Paul writes to Rome these words in chapter 16 and verse 13 Greet or salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. And many believe, again, I'm not going to be extremely dogmatic about this, there's probably more than two Rufuses at Rome um, or within the scriptures. But many believe that by this time, Alexander had already been martyred, Simon had passed, and for whatever unknown reason, um, And that Rufus is the same Rufus that we see referred to here by Mark. This day for Simon when he becomes distracted, humiliated, and deterred from his original plan becomes possibly the very best day of his life. And no doubt he came to realize that this was no distraction at all, but the very providence of God to bring him to himself. That he would see the suffering Savior to his place of sacrifice And it could very well be that this played instrumental in the salvation of this man. And not only the salvation of this man, but the salvation of his children. you see the reality of the gospel play out, if not here throughout um, Scripture as well. And as we alluded to last week, that the man who is to lead within the congregation is to be an example to others and needs to rule his own heart well and needs to rule his own family well. And he's to recognize that, that, that the way that he carries himself and the way that he rules actually um, actually factors into his children's um, his children's prosperity, soul prosperity. Um, that we can see within Scripture that, that a man who... Um, subjugates a man who abdicates his responsibility within the home, and the uh, the can lead to the despair of his children. Yet at the same time, the one who takes up his cross and follows Christ and is a, an example of the gospel to his children and raises them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and they look at him and they see the type of man that he ought to be, the type of man that Christ desires for him to be. That, that, that gospel message is it pervades the home, pervades the little one's hearts. And it very well could be that Simon um, was so impacted by um, if not at this moment, later, at some, at some time, this is factored into his life such that the gospel pervaded his heart and pervaded his own, and God blessed this man in his ministry, um, in the ministry of his home. Why? Because... Um, all because God had a different plan for him here. Simon bears the cross. We see that. Christ bears His cross. Simon bears Christ's cross. Simon crosses the path of Jesus. First, obviously not willing to bear the cross, yet He's compelled to bear the cross. Why was He unwilling? Well, there's a good chance that at that time He's on His way to Passover. If not, He would be later in the day. Uh, The Passover lamb would have been slain approximately 3 p.m. or so. But we're talking somewhere between 9 or later, between 9 and 3 at this point as He's going on to the cross, possibly around noon hour time. Simon would have been a devout Jew or at least a a, a faithful Jew in the the nominal sense. But even nominal Jews during that time would have celebrated the Passover. They would have understood um, that they needed to remain clean ceremonially for it even to be a possibility for them to partake. As a devout Jew, he would have been very familiar with the cleanliness laws and what all of that meant. He would have known that had he carried the cross, he would have been associated with death. And would be ceremonially unclean, unfit for the Passover. You're reminded of the, um, uh, we're reminded of the, the 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 good Samaritan. As a Jew passed by, he wouldn't even begin to um, reach out in selflessness to this man, the Samaritan. This this this, this mixed person who's of a a different descent not a pure Israelite he would not have even reached for to help a dying man why possibly because it would have made him unclean and unfit for worship and we may see the same thing here he also would have understood the significance of the cross the shame that was attached to it he would have understood that this was a criminal according to the state and condemned to die He would have understood that if he associated himself with this man, it could have meant uncleanliness, but also that for the rest of his life he'd bear the shame of a criminal. That's that's what he would be remembered for. What a thought for him to possibly come all the way from Cyrene, North Africa, to worship the God of his fathers and the temple of their fathers to strengthen his faith, to reaffirm commitments, to be reminded of the promises that God made not only to his fathers, but to him. And now he runs the chance of messing all of that up by bearing the cross of a criminal. How would he tell his family that he came all the way to sacrifice and make an atonement for their sins and that he failed this year because of this man, because of Rome? Would it not have been a repulsive thought to bear the shame of a criminal to a Jew? Of course it would. Wouldn't it have been against everything that was within him? It would have. Wouldn't it have grated against his very flesh? You bet it would. But he's compelled. He's coerced. He's forced. The custom of that time would have been that in the process of crucifixion, that it wasn't uncommon that a man could not carry his own or bear his own cross. And that when he couldn't, a man would be called, or a bystander would be called to help and aid him. And the criminal would hold the heavy end of the cross, and the, 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 the stronger man would come in and, and bear the lighter end of the cross. That's the, the scenario. Seems kind of strange. You would want the, the stronger man to bear the heavier, the whole load. But also, this was a criminal. They didn't care. Um, we just need to get exactly where we're going. So this is what you see. You see Jesus Christ bearing His cross for sinners, taking upon Himself the curse of all man. Along the way, he's exhausted, he's weakened to such a point that that Rome sees fit to call another person a bystander, someone just walking by along the way for whatever reason and to come along and to help aid him carry that cross with him. And thus he submits even against what seems to be, for whatever reason, he's compelled in his heart not to. Thus he must be forced. And that's the text. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's horrific. Sure. It's terrible. It's horrible to think of what they did to Christ. And yet it's terribly beautiful. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of us. Again, regardless of whether or not you believe that Simon came to faith and as a result his two sons were affected by gospel transformation, uh, we should all be able to affirm that what we have before us is a picture of what is required of all men. Matthew 16, 24 once again, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever desire whoever loses his life for my sake will find it simon is a picture for us here Um, Just like many men throughout the Scriptures are pictures, particularly the Gospels. We know blind Bartimaeus. Why was it recorded? You know, We know of of, of the woman with the issue of blood. We know of of this person who is lame. We know of that person that, that was deaf. Why is it that these things are recorded throughout the Scriptures, particularly the Gospels? John tells us why he wrote his. That you and I might believe that he is the Son of God. That these these things are, are directly, intentionally selected, not only by the apostolic authority, but by the very Spirit of God Himself that He would record for us. Um, These things that we might believe that He is the Son of God. And not only do we have His teachings in the Gospels, but we have His life and we have His effect upon others. And in them even we see not only Him and His work, but we see us and our responsibility. So at the very least, Simon here is a picture for us of who we ought to be. Of what every man who comes to Christ ought to do. I know there's a lot of different um, ideas and concepts and and methods and various things of bringing men to Christ. That there's a hundred different ways to present the gospel. Um, that there's a lot of different methodologies of how you come to Christ, whether it's do this or do that. And we have a very um, a very overwhelming sense in our Christian culture of an easy believism, such that 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 that, that very little is required of you and me. When we come to Christ it's a simple prayer and it's a simple um it's a simple uh, affection for Christ it's a it's an emotional experience it's taking on Christ in name and then discipleship is a whole other aspect of christianity but when you see Jesus Christ throughout the gospels what you find is that a gospel that he preaches is a hard gospel to hear and that's why at different times you have not, uh, the disciples that are following after him, these learners, they say, I don't want to learn anymore. You know, it's just too hard. You, you find certain things like this, you know, that if you can't forsake father and mother, brother and sister, this person and that person, you, you can't be my disciple. You can't learn from me. You know, you're not willing to submit. You're not willing to yield. The, 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 the repentance is called for. Faith is called for. But, but but as a result of that, there is a life of discipleship. The, the, the discipleship is not something different. It is it is what you become when you come to Christ. That faith and repentance is not uh, merely a, an entry door into life with Christ. It is life with Christ. And that the same way that you come into Christ by faith and repentance, by, 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 by self-denial, by, by suffering, by sacrifice, by submission to God is the same way that God keeps you. That you today are called to, by faith, believe and to repent and to carry on. That, that 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 is the gospel that he preaches it is a gospel that pervades the heart it is a gospel that changes and transforms the inner man it is a god it is a gospel um, that that is good news that god satisfies the wrath of god and puts a new spirit within you that 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 the new covenant is ratified by his blood to such an extent that those who come to him come and they receive the indwelling of the spirit of god that rules and reigns within the heart it doesn't look pretty on a lot of days the ruling never does. It looks hard. It looks difficult. It looks like, like dying to self every single day and living under Christ because He's enthroned upon my heart and I am not. And one of the pictures that he gives us of, of how men enter into Christ and how men are going to be sustained by Christ is, is this picture of Simon here attached with a great command previously that, that if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That there is a command, a demand upon the life of a believer. That if you are in Him, you must yield yourself to Him and submit to Him and what that will look like on many days, um, is a cross to bear. Not your cross, but His cross. We learn as Simon illustrates for us that the cross is used to bring Simon as well as us to himself. And that God's purposes are sovereign. that God brings a cross in our path. And puts it upon us. And even makes us willing to bear it. Simon is a picture here for all of us, which we are all to be, which we are all to do. That while following Jesus will mean more than this, it doesn't seem to mean less than this. That God often uses the cross to bring people to Himself and not to just bring them to Himself, but to keep men to himself by keeping the cross ever before him by keeping the cross upon his back and that's what we see in simon's life we see the sovereign purposes of god and um, while, while simon is upon his way to even worship god with all of his religion and his uh, and even in an appropriate way that, that, that Jesus Christ reorders His life, that God reorders by sovereign purposes His life and providentially even uses the evil of this world to put Christ before Him, the cross-bearer. That every believer should be able to we'll have that testimony in some sense as well. That every believer is destined to be a cross-bearer. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Listen, the, the head of the church bears the cursed cross of shame and suffering and has determined that the body must as well. And he demands it not so much because of his weakness, but he demands it because of ours. He could carry the cross alone, but He doesn't. He could have mustered strength in His deity, but He did not. He laid it aside. He could have picked it up and carried it around, but He he didn't. He could have called legions of angels down, but He doesn't. And it's not because there's any need of Him. He doesn't need men to come and to carry the light end of the cross. He could carry it all. He could hold it upon His shoulders. He de- but, but, but He demands us to carry it. more for, Not for Himself, but more for us. Not that He needs to be worshipped with men's hands, but that we need to worship Christ. There He was weakened in His humanity to the point at which it was necessary that Simon take up the lighter end and that, that, that God might sustain providentially the Son to Golgotha. But, but this was no insult to Christ. Took nothing away from his work and it had nothing to um, his, his meriting as our salvation. If anything, Simon needed it. If anything, we needed it. He needed to walk after him. He needed to see Christ at his best. That's right, his best. Again, some will paint the picture of the cross like this is Jesus at his worst. So, poor, lowly Jesus. And I will once again beg us to reconsider such thoughts. That this is not Jesus the victim subject to the whims of evil men and demonic strategy. That this is King Jesus with sword drawn out of sheath completing the work that God has given him to do. No man could endure such an act If the natural man had such a task before him and looked at the evil surrounding him, had opportunity to glance into the cup, the very wrath of God, and had legions of angels at his disposal, don't you think that every single one of us, man, woman, and child, on our best day would have called every one of them to aid? But he doesn't. We would fail at the work because even the best of men are men at best, but not the Son. He had his eyes on Jerusalem. He had his heart set towards the cross. And when the devil would tempt him with all that he had in him, he found nothing in Christ that he could grab hold on. So Simon, as he carries the cross after him, he sees Christ not at his worst, but at his best. The submissive royal son completing the work the Father had given him to do. He sees him selfless and he sees him in all of his majesty. He sees Philippians chapter 2. All of his humility of becoming a servant even unto death is right and ever before him. He sees Christ at his best. He sees God um, in his otherness. He sees God doing things that that men would never do. Simon sees something amazing. God God has a set of appointments, a pattern of crosses, not only for Simon to redirect and complete the work, but, but because more so, he needed to see it. God doesn't need any of this. You and I are not essential to His nature, His character, but He is essential to ours. And God has a set of appointments and patterns to empty us all of our self-righteousness, to lead us to Christ, that we might see Him and follow Him in His footsteps. To follow Him, we must see Him in all of His glory. Thus He shows us Himself too often and He shows us Him that is greatest in the cross. Not only as in himself enthroned in heaven, but also, and first and foremost, the exaltation that came through suffering. Much of what God accomplishes in us, it comes through the cross. We are to identify with Him because we are in Him. We are not only to identify Him as partakers of His, his glory, but also in His sufferings. This is where you see Christ at His best. And let me see this. This is where you will see men at their best. Not when they're out meandering around. Not whenever they're in the greatest pleasures and comforts. Not whenever they have their their physical sword drawn and they're just taking the world by storm. You You will see men at their best when they suffer. And when they suffer well. When they have cross laid upon them well, why? Because this is not the general nature of men, right? You know, This is where we see Christ at His best, but many men will never see it. They will go by the broad way that leads to destruction because they will not deny themselves and bear it with Him. They will not take His cross upon them. They don't even want to carry their cross. That the cross is, was repulsive to Simon. The shame came with it. The curse was born upon it. Pain was inevitable along with it. It bothered him, no doubt. It was repulsive to the heart of man. But think of it does it not repulse you? Are we not the same? Are we not self preserving by nature? How many times when given the opportunity would we take the shame of someone else upon us that they might not bear it for themselves or at least not bear it alone? Isn't it our nature to balk at the very thought of pain and and discomfort and suffering and a cross? And do we not in our culture, even Christian culture, do every single thing that we can to avoid it at all costs? We have here a great contrast. The willing Jesus and an unwilling Simon. An unwilling self. Jesus the innocent willing to carry the cross for sinners and Simon the sinner unwilling to carry the cross for a perfect innocent Savior. But that's not just Simon. That's us. By nature, we're unwilling cross We want no crosses. We don't want to bear their cross, we don't want to bear his cross, we don't want to bear our cross. Oftentimes, even to to help a poor soul, like that, we'd even recoil in our hearts to think of what it might do to our reputation. Thus, our love for ourselves presents us with from, from, from bearing our own crosses because we love comfort and ease, and it prevents us from bearing others' crosses because of our, of our reputation and what it might look like if we align ourselves with another sort. Even as believers. Like this isn't just solved at salvation. We struggle as believers, don't we? I mean, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ bears our cross or bears a cross for us, and that our sin might be forgiven and receive eternal salvation of the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied by the Spirit. But but what about when Jesus says, follow me in it. I will make you fishers of men. We recoil at the thought if we truly understand it. Following Jesus is more than just reading a chapter a day, praying a laundry list of Prayers, binge-watching Ray Comfort on YouTube or spending hours with MacArthur in sermons, but to bearing the cross of Christ in life, in family, in our work, in the community. Where was everyone here? Where was the other Simon Peter? Where were the disciples? Why was he all alone? Why did Simon have to be pulled? Why were the soldiers compelled to um, to, to 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 had to compel a stranger to carry the cross. It's because that's what Christ has to do for all of us. We by nature retreat to safety at the thought of a cross, let alone the the, the thought of ours. Yet our Lord commands us to take it up and commands men to do so. He constrains them to do so by love and holiness. Matthew sixteen twenty four. We see what it takes. To take up our cross and follow Christ, or to take up his cross and follow Christ. It demands self denial. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 had a very specific kind of self denial in mind. You know, whenever I speak of self denial, you may be thinking, man, I just denied myself of of a cupcake for lunch or, you know, this or that. And that is, in some sense, self denial, but not the type that Matthew 16 is talking about not the type that Christ is advocating for his exhortation actually comes upon the heels of his rebuke of Peter for attempting to stand in the way of Christ's sacrificial death for his people you'll read that in verse number 23 of 16 he says after Jesus is teaching on his death he said but, but he turned to me but he turned and said to Peter get behind me satan You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Prior to that, he says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. As in verse 21, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and chief priests and the scribes. That Peter counseled for self-protection and self-preservation. He tempted Jesus to spare Himself. Peter fell into the fear of what man might do to him even to the point that he opposed the very saving purposes of God. But before we give Peter again too hard a time, would we really have thought much different? I mean, if there's not some other way. Peter's simply a guy brave enough or just arrogant enough to say it. How many of us given the opportunity to stand for the Lord in that way yet we have feared man more than we have feared God. And while this is exactly what we would all do, the point is, is not that you can muster up the strength in yourself to do it, That this was not what Jesus did. Nor does He encourage men and women to follow in Peter's example. And you hear it all over the place today. I mean, it's just pervasive in our theology, it's pervasive in the Christian church, it's pervasive... Um, it's probably pervasive there because it's leaking in from the culture. You know, this idea of self care, this idea of taking care of yourself first. And, and I'm not opposing that. I think we need to take care of ourselves. Um, but, but most people don't exactly mean that. Most people today mean, you know, cast others aside and be selfish. you got to take care of yourself. You know, even believers, when zealous, they see a zealous young man and tell him, you need to slow down. Like, you're going to kill yourself. You don't hear that kind of language in Scripture. You hear Paul of spending and being spent. You hear of Peter and John pushing the status quo even um, unto death. And whenever they're, they're they're pushed back upon by religious leaders to squelch their influence, they push all the more. You see, men follow in Christ's stead, not, 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 not burning out because they've worked too much, but shining as lights even to this day because they burned at both ends for the kingdom of Christ. As men who truly labor for Christ don't get tired and quit. They endure to the end. They're held up. In the giving of the sacrifice the, and the selflessness, they're held up by Christ and strengthened by Him. Their cross, is, 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 the cross is able to continue to be born because they don't simply bear their own cross. It's not suffering for their own sake. Christ is on the heavy end, And we're here on the light he takes the the, the the greater of the burdens and we are following in after him in his stead and as paul says in second corinthians um, chapter number 11 10 or 11 i believe it is that 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 even though he's buffeted by satan he knows that that in the providence of god it's for his good that he might rest in christ and find strength in weakness that in his weakness there he finds strength as he labors and is beaten and is sacrificing, not, not only on his own behalf for a great ministry to be remembered, you know, he is selflessly acting, bearing the cross of Christ, receiving reproach for his namesake. And he says, in it, I find even more strength. Like that's where I find Christ. It's in the labor. You know. It's in coming behind Him, following after Him. It's hard and it's difficult. But it's where I find Him. It's where Simon found Him. At the back end of the cross. He was compelled. He didn't want to. He didn't want to bear the suffering. He didn't want to bear the shame. He didn't want to bear the reproach. But it's there where you find Christ. And Paul says that, that, that when appropriately viewed in all this glory and majesty, that that's where you're strengthened. That's where young men and older men and young women and older women or godly people who are born for Christ. You know, it's in the cross, and that's where we continually find strength. It's in the cross, it's in, it's in the giving of self, it's in selflessness, and it's in sacrifice, and it's in service to others. Philippians chapter number two. And that's the supreme Christian ethic, it seems. That Jesus Christ have this mind which was in you, which in you, which was in our, it was, it was in Christ Jesus, and it speaks of his humility and it speaks of his service even unto death. And he ends it like this: Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out for your not only your own interests, but also for the interests of others. That the thing which was undergirding His service, Paul's Christ and, and bearing the cross of Christ and taking the reproach upon His name was, was submission to God and love for others. If that's what we're talking about when we're talking about burning it at both ends. We're talking about spending and being spent. When we're talking about service to Christ, we're talking about selflessness, not self-righteousness. We're not talking about self preservation. But self sacrifice on behalf of others. Then we must ask ourselves is self denial a mark of our lives? You know? Even in conversion, Christ establishes a rule and a reign in our hearts and, and he continues to bring us to himself. And is self denial a part of who we are? You know? Sanctification is, 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 is all about that. It's, it's continually dying to self and living to Christ and others. Now Paul writes to Rome that the sin no longer has dominion over us. The writer of Hebrews says that you're to lay aside sin that does not so easily entangle you. In doing this, we reject the natural inclinations of the old self in favor of the new Christ's rule and reign. He no longer rules and reigns over my mortal body. Christ does. And as I grow in love to Him, I share not only in His sufferings, but in His love for others. And I'm willing to give wholly of myself to others with no no aim to receive anything else. Who lives like that? You know? Who wakes up in the day and says, today I want to be remembered no more preferring my brother i'm preferring my sister i'm preferring my wife like it doesn't matter what she does today it doesn't matter what he does today it doesn't matter when i go to work who doesn't work in labor how many of us how many of us are just governed by what everybody else is doing i mean we will just do the least amount that we can possibly get by because we know that whenever our boss or somebody else comes to us um, we can just look and say well they have you know How many of us have children like that? How many of us were children like that? You know, mom, dad come into the room and and, and so and so is not doing anything. And when addressed, they say, well, he's not. You know? That this is our natural inclination to strive for the least. You know, to to, 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 not be to be devoted as little as we possibly could. But Christ wakes up every single day of His 33-year life and has this ethic before Him that I am here not for self, but for the Father and for them. He denies His self. He lays aside His majesties. He takes rights that are even ultimately His. He does it for you. And He does it for me. And we are called in some sense to, to bear that same cross. A cross which leads to persecution, a, a godliness that, that, that leads to opposition, a, um, a, a, a type of life in which it's hard and it's difficult. And the only way that you could ever pursue it is to, is to stop caring so much about who you are and what you think and start caring more about how you proceed for Christ's sake. And the well-being and preferring one another over even yourself. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to lay aside every encumbrance and run. The race that is set before us. There are plenty of things, not even only that are sinful, but things that are good, things are good in and of themselves. But when we give in to the temptation to gratify ourselves instead of seeking the good of others, we sin. You know, I think that's probably our our greater sin, isn't it? I don't think that we really struggle as a church or as a people. And in a large fashion, with just the blatant, outright sins of our lives. I mean, I don't, I, I don't have to, I, nobody's under church discipline for drunkenness. You know, adultery's not running rampant within the church. And what we can do is look around and say, man, we feel pretty good about ourselves, you know, because of all the things that we're not doing. But isn't it a much more dangerous sin to live a good life out of selfishness and say, That's God's blessing upon my life. I'm going to protect it instead of giving it all for others. Not necessarily giving it all to others, but we have a willingness in our hearts as we see others and we look to the good of others, you know, and that we're willing to give it all for their sake regardless of what we might receive in return. I see it all around I see it even in my own heart at times. I see with the economy the way that it's going. I see with social unrest. I see with a hundred different things and I see it all the time. I see it even in my own uh, financial status clinging to certain things for self-preservation's sake. I need to become more self-sustained. I need to start stockpiling. I need to do this and I need to do that. You know, And if you were to even approach that with some Christians, they would get so offended. It's mine. There's nothing inherently sinful about it. It is if it's all about you. You know, if you're looking to plan and pinch a tent you know somewhere out in the middle of nowhere so that you can just you know uh, hang out until Jesus comes you know because you're afraid of man and the devil and what they might do to you, then it is the very ethic of of demonic, you know. Yet at the same time, I recognize and see many people in whom I try to emblemize who are, who are building up estates and, 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 and organizing their finances and, and other things so that when this thing goes awry, they have plenty things in place to give others. They're planting gardens, not only for themselves, but for others. They're stockpiling certain things so that when the day approaches, there's enough margin there that they, can't, that they don't just grip to themselves, but they're willing to, to, to give to others and even sacrifice what is theirs. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. You know? But God pushes us in this direction, and He does it by laying crosses upon us. When He does that, the sufferings of this life, it, it, it makes us cling to the hope that is in Christ. It, it, it begins to loosen our grips from the things in this life. I don't know how many people I've talked to just over the past several weeks who seem like there's so many things going wrong and, 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 and they're encouraged so greatly in Christ. I mean, I don't know of a time in which true Christians were looking to Jesus more. And there's just a great hope there. You know, as one person deals with this loss and this tragedy over here and that and that, and they're not clinging to themselves, trying to muster up uh, themselves or pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're clinging to Christ. They're longing for Him. They're looking to heaven. They're longing for hope. Yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that they throw their hands down and wait for Jesus to come. They pick up and they carry on for serving others, and they're doing it because of the hope that they have in Christ. I got a call from an unbeliever just the other day who I'm family with. They said, I made millions. And the older I get, the more I recognize it means absolutely nothing. You have all you want, yet you find out that you have nothing that you need. You know? And you find out that the more that you protect yourself and the more that you preserve and the more that you build yourself, uh, that, 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 that all you're doing is setting the stage for it to be burned on that eternal day because it's all wood, hay, and stubble. You know? But when you give it for the cost of others, just like Jesus Christ did, there's a great blessing as He's exalted to the right hand of God the Father and He receives the reward of His suffering. It's, it's not for nothing, friends. If you were today called on by Christ to give it all, and there would be gold, silver, and precious stone, no doubt, waiting upon you in heaven. And that God often brings that reality to us as we bear the cross. We suffer for His name's sake. We take upon Him that we take upon ourselves the reproach of Christ and the shame that as we identify with Him. That's why Paul could say that he fellowshiped with Him in His sufferings. Right. That while Simon was going his own way, he was compelled to go another way. God was taking control of him by taking control of the cross. Simon's way was a way of sacrifice, but it was a way of sacrifice of the innocent for the criminal, a lamb for the a wolf, the perfect for the imperfect, a way of ritual cleansing, a route of religious ease. It was a way of doing, but God desiring to wake him up to the reality that, he, that it is no longer the way, that that's the wrong way God lays upon him a cross. But not just any cross, the cross of Christ. You see, our way is another way. It's a way of working, it's a way of laboring, it's a way of comfort, it's a way of pleasure, it's a way of self-righteousness. And and God desiring to ruin our way sometimes brings upon us a cross, a disaster, a suffering, an affliction, a persecution, an opposition. Thus that we could say with Job that he knows my way. And just paraphrasing that when I come out on the other side, I will be refined as fire. That we can take comfort in this cross and have joy, as even Hebrews chapter 12, that that, that He endured the cross with joy, despising the shame, but endured it with joy because of what was set before Him. That there is a way even that you 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 can despise the shame of the suffering of this life and the persecution, yet pursue it with joy. I think it was Samuel Rutherford. If you ever read him, you'll be hard pressed to get a page or two before he starts talking about the crosses and the sufferings of Christ. And how he'll just rejoice and he'll see something coming down the way that is a difficulty. And he'll say, here comes my Jesus. Here comes Christ. These things, that these crosses are not crosses to, 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 to balk at in the sense of, 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 of hatred and, and get them out of my life, nor are they in some way uh, to, to be a sadistic person, to enjoy the pain, but to recognize that when this thing comes, that if it is Christ's cross, I will come on the other side better than I ever was before, clinging more to Him and less to me. Denying myself that He may rule and reign and that I may be quickly forgotten. It's a badge. Our cross, is, His cross is the badge of honor. The sufferings are a sign of sonship, chastisement. Everyone links us to Christ, His saving work and His sanctifying purposes. We take comfort because we know Jesus measures out every cross. And that shouldn't discourage us, but encourage us. Because it's His cross to bear and He carries the heavy end. He takes the curse upon Him. He's the one that does the meritorious work. We simply follow in His stead and in His presence and carry with Him the work that He's already accomplished. And He said that every nation, tribe, and tongue will come and you can take it to the bank that it will. So go out with confidence that our Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Go boldly into the very throne room of grace knowing that He accomplished it um, in part, at least on our behalf for that very reason. You know, grip a hold of and take fast um, the the benefits of Christ in the midst of it and know um, that if He's brought this, then I will be all the better for it. Maybe He's using it to teach me um, to let go of the things of this world and to cling grosser to Him. And I can be honest with you, every single trouble that has came my way as of lately, I've either said, Here's Je- here comes my Jesus, or there He went. Sometimes it takes me by the surprise and you have to reorient. And because of a sinful heart, but once you're done, you look back and you say, God was with me, even though I don't always feel His presence. But Jesus bears the cross. And you're to bear His cross. Simon is somewhat of an illustration of a man going his own way, and he's compelled to come and to come after Jesus and to take up His cross, not our cross. We have to be, um, we have to be um, uh, intentional in, in saying that, Right? that some of us will, will, will bear our cross and we'll attribute it to Christ, you know? And it'll be our own foolish doings, you know? It'll be contention for contention's sake or divisiveness, and we'll look at it and we'll say, well, I've got to bear my cross. No, you're just a fool making more trouble for yourself than you ought We'll make crosses out of legalism. We'll make crosses out of liberalism. We'll make crosses out of this and out of that and we'll construct this thing in my life that is unbiblical and ungodly. But We're not talking about that. We're talking about casting all of that aside and clinging to Christ's cross, living for Him, being holy for His name's sake, so, um for the... Uh, sacrificing for the glory of Christ and preferring one another. We're talking about actions and attitudes and, and, and things moving forward as we bear Christ Himself in us, the hope of glory. And for that reason, we're persecuted. For whatever reason, we're afflicted. For whatever reason in service, um, we're exhausted and wearied and laden down. That, that, that we are to, to, to bear His cross, not our cross. We are to fight His battles, not our soapboxes. We're to cling to Him. We're to remember that the crosses are painful, but they will never crush us. They are for our good. And then we're to think, where would we be without those crosses? Right? I thought about that this week. I'll tell you where I'd be. I'd be blind. I'd be deaf. I'd be dumb. I'd be consumed with malady and disease. You'd be like I'd be like a man with his nerve ending severed so that I could feel nothing. One would think that that might be a blessing to me, right? Never to feel pain. As a young man, you could think, man, oh, what it would be like, what you could do um, with, without the, the fear of feeling pain. How, how strong would you be? How courageous would you be? How much could we be, get accomplished? And, that's, and that's, that's a wonderful thought if you're Superman, not if you're mortal. Because then you can't feel the cancer grip your stomach. Then you can't feel the shortness of breath around your lungs. Then you can't feel the pain of the heat of the of the stove eye upon it. And, 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 before you, and, and before you know it, you're consumed by your own foolishness. Why? Because you, you remained blind, deaf, and dumb. That, that pain is entered into our body as indicators, as a conscience, as as uh, to protect us, to, 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 to show us our mortality and that we are in need of something greater. That if we do this, we will die. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, stands up in every age and with a gospel message saying that if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You are mortal. The possessions of this life are fleeting. Look to him and live. Take up your cross and follow him. This life is temporal at best. And the next is eternal at worst. If you're without Christ. This is what He stands up. You you, you need the pain. You need the crosses. You need to know this morning that you're sick. That you have cancer. You need to know that, that, that if someone doesn't come in, if there is no physician, you'll die and you'll die quickly. You need the cross. You need the suffering. You need the pain. You need the difficulty. You need to know you're not strong enough. You need to know you're not wise enough. We need to know that our arrogance and our pride is killing us. You need to be humbled. You need to have a contrite spirit. You need to know that Christ is King and you're not. We need our children to know that the world doesn't revolve around them. And we need we need them to know that they need to look to Christ, that they need the Gospel, that Jesus Christ came into the world to suffer for our sake, that He might take His our sin upon Him, and that we are to run to Him as our only hope. We need Christ this morning. So give us our crosses. Give us more pain. God, do whatever it takes to show us, to make us see, to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand. Father, if it means break my legs, if it means put me in my deathbed that I might look to you, then so be it. Then so be it. Lord, whatever it takes. You say you don't know what you're praying. Yes, I do. I look at my Savior and I see exactly what I'm praying for. I look at Christ and I think about what He went through and you catalog the Gospels and you you talk about uh, modern science and what we know happened to Him. I know exactly what I'm praying for. And I know it'll never compare to the cup that He drank on our behalf. I know that the sufferings in this world will never, never compare (laughs) to the sufferings of our Savior. I know that what He bore upon us uh, for on our behalf for us will never that we will never experience or will never be measured out in the same extent but he did it for this very reason that we might not have to and that the very worst that this world has to bring while well, world flesh and devil will never compare to the glory that's what paul says you know that the, the sufferings of this present world will never compare to the glory to the glory of God and those and what we have prepared before us. Now listen, if you burn out at a young age, like Robert Murray McShane or other men who didn't even see their their twenties or their thirties, and and it's a life for Christ and it's a life well lived. It's a life that God can use for His glory. And if it's a cross that God has given you to bear, then bear it well. Show the world what it looks like to suffer like Christ and with Christ. Show, show the world that you have a Savior on the other end carrying the heavy part. That this is light. Light affliction. The loss that we have to incur in this world is light affliction compared to the glory that is ever before us. So bear it well. Look to Christ. Shine forth His light. Show the world your Savior. Not in your comfort and not in your ease and not in your um, high and lofty um, castles. But Christ is best seen here. And Christ is best seen in you on many days. When you are seemingly at your worst. Bearing the cross, suffering reproach. You know, carrying the shame, fellowshipping with God in his sufferings. Somebody looks at you and says, how do you carry on? And you quote Second Corinthians twelve nine, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities in reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That Christ gives an abundant grace for those who carry his cross. And he meets you there. He meets you there. I don't know if Simon was saved. I kind of think he does. I think I kind of think he was. I think his sons came to faith as a result of the gospel transmission of their father. But at the very least, this gives us a picture of what Christ calls for every man. For Him to take up His cross and follow Him and to even endure it with joy. That this is how we've taken the fellowship of His sufferings. And there is in some sense in which the world needs to see you there, right? We're so quick to hide everything that's wrong with us. So quick to sweep under the rug what God is doing in our lives through the difficulties. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a safe face. Maybe it's self-preservation. Maybe it's because you don't want to experience the pain. Don't hide God like that. Under a bushel. Let Him shine forth. Church, strive to keep in your mind that cross-bearing is a blessed occupation. It brought Simon into Christ's company. It, it held him in Christ's steps and it linked him with Christ's work and whatever brings us there is a blessing. To those who are not, the unconverted, you too must become a cross-bearer. You must say, I have crosses too. Yeah, but if it's not Christ's cross, it won't matter. Thousands of men have carried crosses and died upon them and are in eternal torment even to this day. They 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 were not only crosses, they were idols in which they worshiped and led them to their death. They were fools clinging to hope, a false hope. Today, I beg you to cling to Christ. See, I'm afraid. You don't have to be. You have one who goes before you, one who goes with you, and one who will never leave nor forsake you. As heavy as your cross will ever be, he's on the heavy end, and your affliction is light. Temporary for a season and will never compare. He says, take my yoke upon me. It is easy and my burden is light. All the world has to bring against you will never compare to the glory that is revealed in Christ Jesus. I beg you today to come to him by faith and repentance and receive that eternal reward. Enthrone Jesus Christ upon your heart and take your cross and take it gladly. Take it with joy, despising the shame, yet enduring it with joy. I beg you to come to Christ. It is an honor to carry his cross. Let us pray. Father, we love and thank you and praise you once again for the glories of Christ. Father, what a magnificent Savior. What a blessed opportunity. What a precious gospel. Father, just pray that you'd take it to the depths of our hearts. Father, whether we're saved or not, if we're not, renew us, Father. Give us a new spirit that will dwell within us, plant within us, Father, something that is foreign and otherworldly. Even if we're not compelled, Father, compel us to come in. Father, bring whatever it takes to show us the deadness of our souls. May we not live pain-free with comfort and ease for the rest of our ages, not knowing our eternal condition in our present state. But Father, would you show us the depths of the depravity of our hearts. Father, would you show us the disease of our souls that we might find Him and seek after a physician. And Father, if we are saved, may the same way you brought us in in that utter episode of self-denial, Father, may you gloriously keep us. God, may, may you work in our lives in such a way to see that what Christ did and accomplished is worthy of our service too. Father, use it for your glory. Help and aid and strengthen us, Father, to forget ourselves, to stop seeking accolades and reward, Father, and simply serve you. Love others. Father, may you help us to deny ourselves May you ease the grip, Father, that we have of self-preservation and self-righteousness. God, and would you let this mind which is in Christ Jesus be in us. Who thought it not Robert, he'd be equal with God, Father, but humbled himself as a servant, even under death, for the sake of others. Father, show us Christ this morning that our love may be swelled to the utmost, that we might be overwhelmed with the holiness of God, Father, that it might transform our lives And that we might see the foolishness and the feebleness, Father, of all this world has to entertain. And that truly all that we have in this life and the next is Christ and Christ alone. Father, would you show my children that? Would you show these little boys and girls that? Father, as they sit within the congregation, Father, may they hear the word of God and you transform them by the renewing of their minds. Father, would you help me not to preach over their heads, but to preach to their little hearts? And God would just save them all, every one of them. Would you help the mothers and fathers here, Father, just to love Christ, to love you, Father, just to be Mm spirit-empowered and just to pour themselves out for their little ones. Father, not in a a subservient way, Father, but with true authority um, that commands attention um, for their good and for your glory. Father, help them to love them and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Father, and just preach the gospel to their children, to their life and actions, God, and bring every little one to yourself. God, show them Christ. Show us Christ in all of his glory and make us, Father, more like your son. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.